We have spent some time in this uh, ninth verse of the first chapter of the book of Revelation. There's just so much in there. This is a compact book. The verses are so filled. And all the Bible is that way. But when we have come to the book of Revelation, we have noticed that the verses are just so full, and it's been to our advantage to stop and pay a little bit of attention. And we can't do any harm. It's always good to be in the gospel. It's never a bad thing. It's always a good thing. So as long as we keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus and the purpose of this book, and if the Lord should allow us to be in here for five or ten years, or if he should come back tomorrow, we've not wasted our time. So verse 9, we noticed in that verse that John is used of the Holy Spirit to be the secretary. And we noticed a few things about the John and John one. And there's so many similarities. In fact, the, the items that are listed with regard to John in the first chapter of the book of John, John the Baptist as we know him, the items of import to him are the same thing that is important to God's people today. And that is our eyes are on the Lord, and we, we are constantly with our finger pointed, Behold the Lamb of God. Which take, he has taken away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. And it's our delight to point people there, and it's our delight to get in that direction. And the things that John said about himself, he must increase, I must decrease, that's the whole principle of the Word of God, is God is great, and we're minuscule. Now, when it gets turned around, we're going to have a problem. When we get ourselves bigger than God, we have a problem. When we get ourselves bigger than the purposes of God, we have a problem. So John was so clear and plain about pointing people to the Lord, but also his own view about himself. He is great. I'm just a man passing through this life. And I have a privilege of pointing. And then when we saw that uh, he had some disciples, followers, he was not one to say, stay here. We want to we build a kingdom over here. We want to build something valuable to us. Those two disciples, when he pointed out the Lord Jesus, they said, I think we'll go over there. And John says, I think you should. Follow the Lord. Go to the Lord. Be with the Lord. So that is very valuable. And we're going to find that same thing about John here in the book of Revelation. Now, he declares to us that he is our brother. And we noticed during the, that uh, short time we were there that John, even as knowledgeable and as the sights he had seen and the persons and person he'd been around, oh my, the number of important events that had taken place where John and Peter, James, and John in particular were the only eyewitnesses of. So important. We would, I'd want to go to a conference if he was speaking, wouldn't you? <laughs> if he was going to be the featured speaker, I'd want to go hear what he had to say. But he just said, I'm your brother. There was no elevated position. He knew it took the blood of Christ to save him. It took the, it took the grand scheme of salvation to save him. It took God's grace to save him. He was a sinner born into this world, a sinner by nature. He was a sinner by practice. 
but he is also a sinner by choice. And God saved him by his great, free, and sovereign grace. And he's just a brother. I'm just a brother. And then we noticed in there that he's a companion. And uh, companion, he's a partner. And he's a partner in tribulation. Would you turn with me as we just close on that thought of uh, the companion in tribulation. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul was used to write these words of, of uh, encouragement to us. Now, they were an encouragement to him, but they are an encouragement to us. They were an encouragement to the saints at Corinth, but they're an encouragement to us also. And we find that this companion in tribulation in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. Now, this, this verse is such a wonderful verse about where we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we should ever think of ourselves more than we ought to think of ourselves, let's just remember, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We're just earthen vessels. We're just pottery, if you please. And thank God that he's the potter. But there's a treasure hidden in that earthen vessel. It, when he saves his people, when he regenerates his people, the Holy Spirit takes up residence. And that residence that's in us is of God. And we have a treasure in there. We have the Lord Jesus. We have his spirit. We have the Father. We have the greatness of his salvation. The down payment of our eternity is with us and in us. And he says there in verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Uh, again, just a statement about if we, if we ever had a thought about boasting about what we have and how we got it, let's just remember the Lord makes it so clear. We are what we are by the grace of God. Amen. That's all. By the grace of God. And Paul said, if it wasn't for the grace of God, there go I. I mean, we can see the derelict, the drunk, we can just, the religious person, the high, lofty religious person. If it wasn't for the grace of God, there go I. I'd be sewed up in that and sold out to that. Now, he goes on here in verse 8. Paul shares this, and, and I think that he's speaking for the church. We are troubled on every side. Now, that's what we get from the world. But notice, there is always a spiritual, godly blessing that goes with it. We are, we are troubled. And now, we are in tribulation. And tribulation is going to sift out the uh, chaff from the wheat. We read there about the, the parable of the sower. And when tribulation came along, some of those that had made professions, those that appeared to have possession, it wasn't. They left over tribulation. Now, notice here, it says in verse 8, we are troubled on every side, but not distressed. Now, God hasn't given up on us. God hasn't given up. God hasn't given up on us. God has not changed. He's not changed about us. And then he goes on to say, we are perplexed, but not in despair. Now, we, we may be at a crossroads in our life, but... God has it all figured out. We may be perplexed. Trust the Lord. We may not know what to do. We may be perplexed, as it says there, 
Uh, we are perplexed, but not, not in despair. I mean, one of these roads we're going to take, or he's going to have us cut and across, but he's in charge. And we're here, and we just don't know which way to go. I think of the Apostle Paul. He, he had a real desire to go to the east. A real desire. The Bible tells us he had a desire to go east and take the gospel. Now, he wasn't going on a sightseeing trip. He was going to take the gospel. And it says the Spirit stopped him. All right, I'll go north. The Spirit stopped him. All right, I'll go west. All right. A door was open, and the Spirit took him west. Now, we're thankful for that. We're thankful for that. If it wasn't for that, we'd be like China and Japan and all of the Arabic nations. We, we would not have heard the gospel as often and as clearly as we have. In some of those countries, it's against the law to mention the name of the Lord Jesus. So I'm glad he went west. Now, he had a desire to go other places, but he, he, he was perplexed, but he was not in despair. Now, notice verse 9, persecuted, but not forsaken. Now, I like that. Every, every human frailty that we have is answered by a spiritual blessing from God. I, I'm persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Every human frailty that we have, the Lord is always the spiritual answer and the bearer, upholder of us. So tribulation, the apostle John said that he was a companion, a partner in tribulation, and he's on that island as a result of persecution and tribulation. He is there, and I don't know what went through his mind. I, I kind of think of what might have went through my mind if I'd have been arrested and said, you're going to a desolate island all by yourself, and, and it's not a very good place to be. I'd have just wondered, what are you doing with me, Lord? Probably just a little bit down in the mouth over it. And yet on that island, John saw the Lord high and lifted up. In glory that few people have seen. So the th issue of where he was was just God's opportunity to share with him the glory of God. So I'm your brother. As going back over there to the book of Revelation, I'm, I'm your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom. And tonight we'd like to spend a little time and the patience of Jesus Christ. The patience of Jesus Christ. Now, I've looked at this. I've broken it up into two parts. Number one, there is an attribute about God, about our Savior, the Lord Jesus, that's termed patience. This is the patience. What's it say? The patience of Jesus Christ. There is a characteristic. There is an attribute about the Lord Jesus Christ that we call patience. It's given to us as that term. But there is a fruit of that characteristic or that attribute that overflows to us that we live by daily. Now, this patience, this patience is the absolute power that overcomes all things. 
Now, when we're talking about patience here, we're talking about God's sovereignty. We're talking about uh, an enduring, uh, not swerving, not moving, not going to the right hand or to the left hand. This is unswavering. This is unmovable. This is not a shadow of turning. This is the patience of Jesus Christ bears witness of his sovereignty, bears witness of his Godhead, bears witness of every stable thing about God. His patience is an attribute that we delight in because there is a fruit about us that gives us the ability to overcome. Jesus says, I've overcome the world. And as a result of that, you will overcome the world. Now, let's look at this. Turn with me, if you would, back to the book of Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, as we think about this patience of the Lord Jesus Christ, he absolutely has power over all things, all the time, without end, without beginning and without end. And here in the book of Isaiah, I'm looking forward to Pastor Mahan's Gospel of Isaiah. I like the way he termed that. It's a book he wrote, the Gospel of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah has a lot to say about our Savior and a lot to say about our salvation. And right here in Isaiah chapter 14, we read some wonderful words about the patience of our Savior, the patience of our Lord, the immovability now I go down through the gorge here and it's gorgeous but you know some engineers moved a lot of rock there's cuts down there that are 40 and 50 feet of basalt they cut so that they could put a freeway through there now if you want to see it without it go through the old road a little even there they had to do some cuts when we come to the Lord, he is such a flinty stone that there is no one that is going to carve through him, cut through him, and make the passage more easily. He's immovable and uncarvable. There is not one bit about him that anybody can move. Not his purpose, not his will, not his word, nothing can move God. Not, he can't even be carved on. He can't be made different. Now, we may have an imagination about him, but in his person, he cannot be different. He is going to be what he's always been, and that is God, and beside him there is none else. It is the patience, the endurance, the overcoming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Now, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24 the Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. Now that's the patience of the Lord Jesus. The enduring, endurance, immovability, uncutability. You can't carve through him. You're not going over him. I mean, he is immovable and uncarvable and uncuttable. There is not one wit about him that can be changed. I change not. I will not even change my face for you. <laughs> now notice going on here, Isaiah 14, and there in verse 24, 
The Lord of hosts has sworn, surely, saying, Surely I have thought. Now, isn't that interesting? I have thought. Hasn't even said it out loud. The angels didn't even have to hear it. He didn't have to say a word. I've thought. Surely as I've thought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. I am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience. What he's saying is, I delight in God not moving. This, this sun may move and this earth may spin. But my Lord spins not and moves not. I'm out here on this island, but my God has not moved in his purpose. I'm seeing his purpose. I'm understanding his purpose like I've never understood it, but he's not changed. The results of me being here is God's eternal, everlasting, unmovable, undeniable purpose. I'm here because God's appointed it. Now he goes on to say, here in verse 25, that I will break the Assyrian is in my land and upon my mountains, tread him underfoot. Then shall his yoke depart from off them and his burden depart from off their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out upon all nations. For the Lord of hosts hath purposed. Isn't that a good word? Purposed. There's a related word called predestined. I purposed, I predestined, I made up my mind beforehand. I will not, I can't, we can't even say I will not. We can say he cannot change. He cannot change. His patience is from eternity to eternity. I am immovable, unchangeable. I do not change my mind. I do not change my ways. I do not change my purpose. Here he says there, this is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out upon all nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed. And who shall disannul it? I like that. You know what that does to the church? Gives us a firm foundation. Now Mike and I are working on a house that was a house one time. I just called it the dry rot house. <laughs> There's a lot of dry rot in it. We've taken out a lot of dry rot. But today I told him, you know, as bad as it looks, there is one positive thing. The concrete seems to be pretty good. <laughs> So we have something to set the wood on. Now of all the trials and tests and winds that blow, we always have the foundation. And it changes not. It is not moved by time. It is not moved by politics. It is not moved by prayer. It is not moved by anything. It is always the same. And we have a firm foundation we can always rest on that. It is not moved. The patience 
of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. It is always a constant. And we need that. Believers need that. The world changes, but he changes not. And then to find out, as the Apostle John did, and we do over time, whatever happens, and it looks like it's changing, our life is changing, is by divine appointment. God is working all things after the counsel of his own will. And to be a companion in tribulation, a companion in the kingdom and patience of our Lord Jesus Christ means I can sit under my tree and rest. The winds are heavy. I'm on an island and there's not much here. The winds are heavy and it's cold at times. But I am at rest. I'm in, enjoying the patience of the Lord Jesus. Turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. There's so much about this patience of the Lord. Uh, we just term it the immutability, the unchangeability of God. But notice this verse of scripture right here, Malachi chapter 3. This is such a delightful verse of scripture because we are the absolute beneficiaries of God's unchangeability. We are the beneficiaries. If God should change, why wouldn't he change his mind about us today? And if he did, he would. Now notice here, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. I, for I am the Lord. Now that word Lord means something there. It means I am, I am the patient Lord. I am constant, never changing. I am absolute. I'm sovereign. But he says, I change not. And that could have been in all capitals. I change not. Now the beneficiaries, us, therefore, ye sons of Jacob, are not consumed. I have made a covenant. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have made a covenant to save a people. And therefore, you're not consumed. Now if I change my mind about my covenant... Oh my goodness, which day would it be that he marked us out? But I change not. I'm your companion in the patience of our Lord. We delight in this. We rejoice in this. We thank God for this. We are so delighted because our whole spiritual eternity is based upon the fact that God changes not. Our whole hope is based upon that very thing. It's not based on an experience. It's not based on a time. It's not based on a, a words we said. It is based upon whether God's going to change or not. And the word of God tells us so clearly, we have hope. He changes not. We can hope. He changes not. He will not change his mind. Those names that he had written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, those names that were graven on the palms of his hands, those names that were on his shoulder pads, those names that were on the breastplate, will not change. He will not get the whiteout out. <laughs> they will be eternal right there, just as he purposed before time. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of James. 
James chapter 1. This, I am your companion in this. We are partners in this. We will thank God for this. When we meet together, we'll thank God for his patience. His patience, the patience of Christ, the endurance, unswerving, the deliberate, deliberate purpose, even with great trials. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is one that faced great trials while he was on this earth. But he was unswerving. 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 He didn't go to the right hand or to the left hand. He was had his face. I like what the old prophet says. His face was set as a flint. And that just means no one was going to turn his head. He had a purpose in mind. And his purpose was our redemption. But you remember when he was just a young, just a babe? Herod says, let's kill him. Kill all the male children under two. And God sent an angel, or sent a dream to Joseph. He says, get him down to Egypt. Get him down to Egypt. And we just find that through the life of the Lord Jesus. They had taken him out and killed him, given the opportunity a number of times, but it wasn't until his appointed time. And when his appointed time came, he submitted himself to the judge of this world, old Pilate. I lay down my life that I might take it up. No man taketh it from me. Now notice here, book of James, chapter 1. We, just, we could just sit down and, and thank God for this. We could just sit down and we just have prayer meeting over this. This very thing. What's it say? James chapter 1. And there in verse 17, the word of the Lord says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. If you've had regeneration, it's from above. If you have any gift, it's from above. If you have any love, it's from above. If you have any hope, it's from above. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above. It's not from this world. It's from above. It's from above. It's from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Now notice the last part of that. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. You know what? That variableness means to me, he doesn't have to stop and think about what he's going to do. Now, Mike and I were talking about this today. We call it ongoing engineering. <laughs> when you get to remodeling, it's just, you never know what you're going to find. So it's just ongoing engineering. You pull up a board, okay, we're going to have to do something else. We thought it was okay, but it isn't. It's just variableness. <laughs> Every day is a day of variableness. We're going to go this way. No, 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 we're not going to go that way. Circumstances. But with him, there is no stopping and having to think about what to do. His purpose is made up. It's already declared. He knows the end from the beginning. And as we read over there in the book of Isaiah, it says, I thought it, therefore it will come to pass. That's so good. God's church just says, oh, thank you, God. 
It's a, such a delight to have a God that doesn't change his mind, not wringing his hands over what's going to happen in the Middle East, wringing his hands over whether he can get people to come to him or not. He is in charge. He is the patient Lord. He's immovable, unchangeable, a God that fadeth not away. He's not just here for a short time. He's not like the mist or the fog. He is always a high mountain stronghold in the day of trouble he's always a cleft in the rock he's always something strong he never gives himself the uh, the impression to us well he's just a little weakling no no loud voice <laughs> loud voice he speaks with a loud voice what's in the book of john john says he part of his patience is his voice is like a trumpet <laughs> unchangeable he speaks like he believes what he knows. You know, uh, the camp Nancy and I used to go to, a preacher preached, and, and uh, he left the pulpit and was going to his cabin, and he dropped some of his notes, and one of my friends found the notes, and right here it said, in his notes, weak point, shout here. <laughs> Well, probably that should have been with the whole message, you know, weak points out here. Well, you know, God, he doesn't have any weak points. He can just, the voice of a trumpet. He knows. Now, he, turn with me to John 16. John 16. In John 16, we look at this patience. This is an attribute. This is a, his characteristic. This is the attribute of the Lord, the patience of God. The endurance, the unswervability, the deliberate purpose, even with great trials. But here in John, John 16, verse 33, Jesus said this. These things I have spoken unto you that... In me ye might have peace. In the world ye ha shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. I, I've been a ruler of the world. I've overcome the world. I created the world. I've overcome the world. All opposition. All opposition. I've overcome. Now, that is, that is the characteristic. That's the attribute. Now, what's the fruit? Let's look at the fruit. Turn with me to, to the book of 1 John. 1 John. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. We find the one that God used to write the book of Revelation, wrote about this overcoming. There's a fruit in this patience of the Lord. There's a fruit in this immov immov immovability of the Lord. There's a fruit in this standing straight. There's a fruit in this patience and enduring. There's a fruit in this unswervability. There's a fruit that God gives to us. He said, I, I change not. There's a fruit in these words, I have overcome the world. Now notice here in 1 John, it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, the word of the Lord says, For whatsoever is born of God, overcometh the world. Now there's a fruit in him overcoming. 
And that is, he grants us the blessing of overcoming. Going on to say, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. What fruit do we enjoy? Overcoming. My goodness. There's a verse. Let's go back over here to, uh, uh, where is it? Oh, Matthew 10. There we go. Matthew chapter 10. Now, this just used to scare me. When I was in religion, this scared me. This just scared the pudding out of me. Just scared me to death. You know what? I found out I was looking at it backwards. In the flesh, we look at things so backwards. Have you ever looked through a pair of binoculars backwards? (laughs) You don't see much and everything's so far away. Well... Have you ever looked through them right way then? Uh, boy, things come right up in your face. They're clear when you're looking at it the right way. In the natural eye, we, we got the binoculars turned around. And we can't read. We can't figure it out. We just, it's out of proportion. Now notice this, Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. The scripture says here, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Whoa, and preachers used to use that as a beating stick. Boy, oh boy, you're going to have to work hard, boy. You're just not going to make it. You're just not going to make it going the way you're going. And you know what? They were right on that point. (laughs) He that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now, when you turn the binoculars around, you find out that God has already overcome And as a result, all of his children. This is the fruit of regeneration, is overcoming and enduring to the end. This is the fruit, and with patience we shall endure to the end. Endurance. Why? He's got a chain on us. My goodness. What is you? Even if you're you're an anchor, what use is an anchor if it doesn't have a chain to the boat? Even if we are an anchor, what use are we if we're not chained to the boat? We're lost. Thank God that even on anchors, he puts a chain on us. Now, some of us, God, by his grace, he's got us on a balloon. We're a balloon. Have you ever been just a balloon attitude? Floating around, enjoying God's good grace. He still has an anchor on us. Now, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Who's going to overcome? Those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall overcome. That's what he says. Why? Because this is his fruit to us. It's the squeezings out of him. The apple is squeezed. We get the squeezing. We get the juice out of him. The juice, the fruit of of his ministry to us is we get to endure to the end and overcome turn with me if you would to the book of luke chapter 8 verse 15 just a little bit ahead now this is that same same parable of the sower now notice here parable of the sower verse 15 luke chapter 8 this is the parable of the sower in this we find out what tribulation will do to people 
tribulation will either do one of two things. It will cause us to leave or it will cause us to be drawn closer. That's it. And I say as Greg Elmquist, leave if you can. <laughs> but that's the two alternatives. We'll be drawn closer or we'll leave. Now there are some leavers in here. Now notice the last one though. But that on good ground are they which in the honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with Patience. Now that word is the same word we find over in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. This is the fruit that God gives to us, and that is God grants to his people, not because of them, but because of him, the ability of enduring to the end. Finishing the race. Going to the completion. Not having to worry whether I'll make it or not. It's in his hands. Now we can just say as those four leprous men if I stay here I die if I go into the city I die if I go to him and I'm not his I do nothing but die but if he should have mercy on me look at all I get all I get I'm not worthy of the least of his blessings I'm not worthy of the least of his mercy I'm not worthy of the least of his grace but he should if he should give me a little bit then he will cause me to overcome and endure to the end because he's got a chain on me. He's got me roped. He's drawing me with cords of love. Turn with me, if you would, over to the book of, of uh, Revelation, chapter 2. Now, in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, there are seven churches that God had this letter delivered to. And in each one of these, we have this word overcoming, the fruit of patience. The fruit of patience. Now notice here, this is, and those who overcome, God has regenerated. It's not from above. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above. It starts up there and comes down. It's not created down here. We don't create it. He gives it to us. He gives us regeneration. He gives us salvation. He gives us sanctification. He gives us justification. He gives us endurance. He gives us the overcomingness. He gives us it all. Now notice here in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, talking about this gift, this grace, this fruit of his patience. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. The word of the Lord says this. Revelation chapter 2. Verse 7, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Hallelujah. What's that mean? I get to feast on Christ. I will not starve anymore. I've been eating pig's husks, husks of corn, but I get to eat of the tree of life. Now, he is the tree of life. Turn with me to that same chapter, verse 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Isn't that good? Because when we get over there a little bit further and find out what the second death is, death and hell are cast into the lake, cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. That is God's eternal justice on every unbeliever. And he has a right to do it. Whether we agree with it or not, he has a right to do it. And he says there, in verse 11, he that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. 
Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. Why? Because he is patient. He changes not. He endures. No one can come and make a mark on God. I remember seeing an old Western, I think it was Gunsmoke or Have Gun Will Travel, and there was a guy had a ring, and he scratched it across the glass on the bar, and it left a trail. And everybody knew he had a diamond. Scratched glass with it. You know what? There's not a diamond that can touch God. There's not a word that can move him. He is patient, enduring, unswerving. Turn verse 17, verse, uh, yes, verse 17 of that second chapter. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Whoa. <laughs> there are some pictures. I get, they will get to eat of the hidden manna. And will give him a white stone. Now we're going to get to that white stone. I'd... A white stone was used. Have you ever heard of being blackballed? Black stoned? When you voted, it was a secret ballot. And there was a black stone and a white stone in your hand. And you went by to vote on somebody, whether it was condemnation. And Paul was used this about his words about Stephen. He gave him the black ball. He gave him the black stone death. Jesus Christ gives us the white stone. He votes for us. We're not even in the competition, but he votes for us. I'll, verse, uh, I'll give him the white stone, and in the, in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Now that's given to those who have the fruit of God's endurance. Verse uh, 26 of that same chapter. He that overcometh and keepeth my words unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Chapter 3, verse 5. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. My goodness, isn't it good to have the righteousness of Christ? He is our clothing. And will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Whoa, isn't that just about what we read over there in Malachi? I change not, therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. I'll not scratch your name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Verse 12, he that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more, he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. And then, verse 21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me, whoa, in my throne. <laughs> Overcomers. I've overcome the world, he said. The patience, the endurance, the immovability, the unscratchability. We can't even flick a thread on his garment. He changes not. And he said to those, I've given the gift. I've given the fruit. They shall overcome. 
They shall sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and I'm set down with my Father in his throne. Just as the Lord Jesus sat down when his work was finished, his people will sit down with him. It's his fruit. His people are his fruit. Their endurance is his fruit. Their overcoming is his fruit. It is him that shall overcome. And every one of his children that shall be presented spotless, just the fruit of God demonstrated in front of all. See what I can do with a sinner. Trophies of grace. See what I can do with a sinner. And then finally, if you turn with me to the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation. <coughs> we're fellowshipping, we're a companion, we're a partner in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. He's dead, stop, immovable. Here in the 21st chapter, verse 7 of the book of Revelation, we read this. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Now that's almost a quote of the everlasting covenant. This is the covenant that I'll make with them after those things, saith the Lord. I'll write my law on their heart. I'll give them a new heart. I'll be their God. They shall be my people. And this is, it's the fruit of God in his people. And that is the only reason we'll endure to the end. And that is the only reason we will overcome. But it's a good reason. He overcame. He endured. He is patient. His people will have the same. He gives to them his character and attributes. As you see me, so shall you have. And we fellowship in his patience. My goodness, we delight when we just get an inkling. Our God changes not. That's so foreign to us in the world, in religion. We're so used to God changing his mind, changing about this. We're trying to influence him to change. They're trying to influence him to change the other way. And then when he saves us by his grace and is pointed out to us, he changes not. You know what? We just get to sit down and rest. Because he's God.